1: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
2: As we welcome you along to the programme we've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 anything you want to share with us we would love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103 and I see quite a lengthy WhatsApp in about the news that we spoke about on the programme yesterday and this is the closure of Bank of Ireland bank branches and obviously a lot of the newspapers picking up on that story today because it was only about this time yesterday that the bank announced which of the 103 branches that they were going to close. And the majority of the Bank of Ireland branches uh, that are to close are the exact same ones as those that were temporarily closed during the first lockdown which was about this time last year and when they did reopen many of them reopened without counter service and you know I remember back in March when the first lockdown came and when Bank of Ireland announced which branches they were going to close and they were closing it because of the lockdown and they were doing it to protect their staff and everybody was staying at home and so there wouldn't be the footfall anymore inside in these branches and the staff could work from home and it was all about keeping everybody safe I clearly remember a listener contacting us and saying, is this the beginning of bank closures and will the banks use this as a bit of a trial run? Let's see how we get through the lockdown with the banks bank branches closed and will they then come back and say nobody wants to use the bank branches anymore and then will they use it kind of as an excuse to close it and it's almost word for word what has happened because when they came out with their reason for closing it one of the things they said was actually there's very little footfall there's no one coming into the branches anymore everybody's doing it online nobody wants to be going anywhere near a a, a bank branch and that couldn't be further from the, the truth from some people they haven't been regularly in their bank because of of lockdown or because they're shielding or because they've been told to stay within their 5K. They've been told only to make their journey if it's absolutely necessary. And that's a lot of the reasons why people haven't been in the banks. Anyway, uh, 88 of the banks will close for good in areas across the st- here in the south, uh, in, in right across the state. And the, it's the beginning of September. I know many people were asking that question yesterday. People worried, people who, that their own banches bran- branch is going to close wondering when so it is in September. For us here in Cork, the bank branches the Bank of Ireland announced yesterday the one at Cork Institute of Technology which is now the Munster Technology University isn't it? Isn't that what it's called? We'll take a while to get used to that. We'll still call it CIT anyway that one is to go. Uh, Glenmire, Bantry, and Cove, Dunmanway, Canturk, Mill Street, Mitchellstown and uh, Yall. And there are mounting concerns that communities will be left with no local bank at all. As the Bank of Ireland announced their closures yesterday, AIB has been called on now to resist a large scale cut of branches after what Bank of Ireland did. And Bank of Ireland have been severely criticised for announcing the shutdowns of a third of its network. And of course, the news when it came yesterday is just two weeks after Ulster Bank said that their bank, they were closing all of their branches. That's a move that's closing 88 branches across the country. AIB has around 200 branches and with another 70 EBS offices and it is currently closing five branches. The move that was announced back in in December but that's a very small amount of branches they've been asked now to please don't do any kind of a large scale call and don't follow Bank of Ireland. Bank of Ireland's decision to pull the shutters down on 88 branches from September was condemned as slap in the face to farmers and to the rural community. The bank has also been accused of punishing customers for acting responsibly during the pandemic by avoiding going into a branches. The move will cut its branch network in the Republic. At the moment it's 257. After this call it'll go down to 169. In Northern Ireland there's 15 branches to close. Currently 28 branches. They will fall to just 13. And the IFA President... Tim Cullinan, he's the one who said this comes as a slap in the face to farmers and rural communities because they are the ones who rely on local branches. For banking service. The IFA estimated that over 80% of the branches that were announced yesterday for closure are in rural areas. He says the withdrawal of this vital service will discommode those whose internet access, who, without internet access and also the people he said whose preference it is to do their banking in person and there are many people like to deal in cash and like to go into the bank and like to speak to a human being and do the bits and bobs of whatever bit of banking they have to do. Seamus Boland of Rural Link said he was really disappointed by the news of the closures. He said it uh, we said it would happen said uh, Seamus Boland but he said it is another major blow to rural communities. Now of course Bank of Ireland yesterday when they announced the closures they did say it's entering into a partnership with OnPost which will offer its customers banking services at more than 900 locations across Ireland. So if we want to take any kind of Positivity. I'm hoping that this will just push a little bit more work. more transactions the post offices way and maybe it'll help to secure the future of some post offices because we know there are many post offices that are under threat of uh, closure. So you know a Bank of Ireland saying oh it's okay we're closing but anywhere where we are closing they're close enough to a post office they have no guarantees that that post office is going to remain in place and you know come back to me in a year two, uh, three years time and tell me is the post office still there because it might not uh, still be there and there's a lot of criticism of what The bank has decided to do in Charlie Westham has a comment piece in the, uh, in the Irish Independent and he says it's the elderly and other people who do not use online banking who will be the hardest hit by this announcement yesterday. While he said businesses that generate cash, they will also suffer. Nine towns will use a Bank of Ireland branch that is also under threat of using one of the Ulster Bank uh, branches. And it's interesting, according to Charlie Weston, in the UK, the financial services regulator has pressed banks to avoid bank closures during the pandemic. But Charlie Weston says and I quote don't expect any such pro- consumer move from the central bank in this country. Hands off seems to be the mantra from regulators here when it comes to many consumer uh, issues. And Charlie Weston also says, us here in Cork, we seem to be the biggest losers in the Bank of Ireland branch cull uh, because we are losing nine uh, branches. Uh, So certainly not a good news day from a banking point of view. And as I say, a really long Uh, WhatsApp in making very valid points on the Bank of Ireland it says Morning Patricia nice to see the sun again it is indeed following on from the news about Bank of Ireland's closures I'd just like to say many of us struggle with banks now not because we're thick But because we live in rural black spots with poor broadband and no mobile signal, we can't use online banking as we can't get the verification code on our mobile that has no signal. When I told Bank of Ireland in Bantry and I asked if there was any other way, they just simply weren't interested. Barely managed to say the word no when I said this would force me to change banks as I need online due to living over thirty miles away, they just shrugged their shoulders and walked away. If this is the attitude, then something needs to be done about rural black spots. Are we we'll be stuffed? or will be stuffed completely, especially if they also take away ATM machines. Maybe it's time to cop on and slow down with tech until all of Ireland stands at the very same place. I no longer have a bank account as I refuse to drive 30 plus miles every few days to make a deposit or a withdrawal. I'm sick of people taking away my freedom of choice and replacing it with a dictat. How can this possibly be termed progress when business and elected officials don't care about our problems? Walk a mile in our shoes and stop with your throwaway promises. Sorry for the rant, Patricia, but everyone is happy to take your money in taxes and savings, but they couldn't care less about you. Recently registered a DNR—that's a do not resuscitate order—with my GP, as this world is not a world that I enjoy anymore. Oh, really sad to see, hear, and see that uh, last uh, line. Please stay as positive, and as you say, it is nice to see the sun shining and try to stay as positive as you can. But you make some really valid points with this push towards everybody going online and that's fine if you are tech savvy but even if you're not tech savvy you need to have decent broadband and you also need to have good mobile phone signal because only at the weekend I was doing some banking online uh, myself and of course that's what they do. They send this verification code to your phone and it never dawned on me. I'm lucky I live in an area that I do have good mobile phone signal but what would happen if I didn't have good mobile phone signal? Don't get the authorization code, which I think only lasts for about five minutes. So if you've intermittent mobile phone signal, the authorization code might come and it will be too late. And that means that effectively means you're locked out of your online banking, even if you have good broadband, because you didn't get the the code from the bank via your mobile phone. Really, really frustrating and I can see why you have decided to do without banking and then there, that comes with its own inherent risks having money at home but also you need, you know, we all need banking because so much stuff now has been pushed online and so many places, not even online but so many businesses now are almost insisting that you have to pay for items and you need to have a card so it's, it really, it, I can absolutely sense your frustration so thank 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 you. It's a long long WhatsApp that you sent in but I, I thank you for it and I think a lot of people will hear what you're saying and I think a lot of people will 100% identify with you 1850 333 your thoughts uh, please on that announcement that as I say we picked up on it yesterday but the news was only being received this time yesterday morning I think it's starting to sink in sink in for people what it will mean to see the closure of their banks as I say once again for us here in Cork the one at the Institute of Technology and they're also closing Glenmire, Bantry, Cove, Dunmanway, Canturk, Mill Street, Mitchelstown and Yall. Nine in total to go here in Cork. We are seeing the biggest amount of uh, closures. And the other topic that we had a lot of commentary on yesterday was to do with what happened in Dublin at the protests on Saturday, the anti lockdown march that many people then described it as an anti lockdown riot as opposed to a protest and a march. And we were talking about it yesterday and then we were concerned because, of course, we heard that there's talks of a similar march or protest for Cork City this coming Saturday and people are a bit nervous about it. Well the papers are picking up on this Owen English is writing in the Examiner about Dermot O'Kyla who is a former councillor. We've spoken with Dermot on this programme before. He's promoting the anti-lockdown rally in Cork City next weekend. Now Dermot O'Kyla has criticised the violence scenes that emerged on last Saturday's one but he's kind of saying that's not going to happen in Cork. He's even saying that his grandchildren will be in attendance at With him. But of course, the real fear is that this particular protest will be hijacked by groups intent on violent disorder. And anyone involved with the organising of the protest in Dublin last Saturday will say that they never planned that there was going to be any violence, but you will get groups who will be going along and they're intent on nothing else but causing violent disorder. Jermit O'Kyla is Secretary of the People's Convention and he says he has no such concerns about Cork next Saturday. He said he liaised with the Gardaí on the day to identify potential troublemakers but I don't know if the troublemakers arrive with a big sign across their forehead you know, or a tattoo across their chest saying we are troublemakers. How do you identify the people that are actually going to cause uh, the trouble? Dermot O'Kyla that those involved in the violent scenes in Dublin on Saturday damaged the protest movement. And we know that missiles, we know that fireworks were fired. I mean, fireworks were fired directly at uh, Gardi, and we know that three Gardaí were injured, one ended up in hospital, 23 people were arrested. Some of our listeners yesterday felt a lot more than 23 should have been arrested. But Gardaí here in Cork are now closely monitoring output on social media platforms ahead of the rally on Saturday. diameter Kyla says he does not accept that the organisation of such event is in breach of Public Health Act are that the gathering of a large crowd could increase the risk of the virus spread. And he also then said he can't wear a mask uh, because he is suffering from an underlying health condition. So he won't even have a mask on him when he turns up at this event on uh, on Saturday. But I'm, I, I cannot understand how he thinks that it's not in breach of Public Health Act. I mean, we're told we can't gather in large groups. So I, I don't understand why he feels that it's not in any way a breach of the Public Health Act. Uh, now I know the Fine Gael Cork City Councillor Damien Boylan, he's urged those behind the event to cancel it. He says we're all frustrated, we're all fed up of not being able to hug, to go for a cup of coffee but we're all adhering to the restrictions to avoid further uh, deaths and you know while everyone is frustrated, going out in large numbers with the chance that you could get pugs arriving who are just there to cause trouble makes absolutely no sense at all to me. And, and by the way, Facebook has removed the group who organised last Saturday's protest in Dublin and they've removed them from Facebook for violating the rules and they're understood to be in contact with the Garda about it. And I also uh, saw a piece of if I have it here in front of me or not where Mary Lou MacDonald has come out. I'm um, the um, leader of the Sinn Féin party and she's also come out and said that people shouldn't attend uh, the rally and, and like, and she's kind of... Oh, Almost, you know, saying what Damien Boylan, the Fine Gael Cork City councillor is saying. Look, you know, you know, everyone is frustrated. We know people are frustrated. But the most important thing is that we need to keep the virus at bay and we need to adhere to everything that we're being told to do by Neffert. And we are... God knows we're getting there. It's a slow, slow journey, but we are getting there and the figures coming out of the hospitals are also good. Less people in ICU, less people in hospital, more people being discharged. I think yesterday was the first uh, day in a long while that nobody was admitted to ICU. So we are getting there and the vaccine has been rolled out. You know Why would we jeopardise it now by organising large groups of people pro- protesting? Seems absolutely crazy to me. Lots of people commenting on the Bank of Ireland to close 88 of its branches and the fact that we here in Cork are to lose the biggest number of bank branches. Somebody says, will the ATM machines still be operating in Dunmanway after they close the branch in September? Absolutely, the ATM machines, even though I think they're withdrawing some ATM machines from supermarkets and that but yes there will still be an ATM uh, machine it's just a physical bank you won't be able to go into the bank branch Mallow listener says I think more robberies will take place on account of bank closures as people will start keeping more money at home if they can't get to a post office or a credit union thanking you that would be a big concern for me as well that's from a Mallow listener and Councillor Declan Hardy says Morning Patricia in relation to Bank of Ireland bank closures back in 2017 Bank of Ireland wanted to move its branches to an advice and self-service model with a target of making 100 banks cash free by the end of 2017. I do remember that. And doing so because they said only 3% of transactions in branches are been done over the counter. So it's a little surprise to hear the announcement this morning. The Bank of Ireland has slowly and sneakily reduced their branch services so they have the reasons to justify the closures they announced yesterday. Shame on Bank of Ireland after we bailed them out with our money. Kind regards, Declan, uh, Councillor Declan Hurley. And so many people are talking about bank uh, bailouts. Siobhan in Damway says, while everyone is on about Bank of Ireland closing its branches, let's try and look at the positive. This could work out better for those of us who don't like using automated services in banks. Now we can chat and transact and transact with a physical human being, the person serving you at the post office. Also, the post offices have longer opening hours, so there, there can be positives out of this decision but I do know it will leave vacant buildings and that's the one big loss because many of those bank branches are on main streets. On the bank codes that the initial WhatsApper had been on about not being able to receive the bank code because of poor mobile phone signal in rural area Martha in Skull said that very same thing happened to me uh, only this week. Very frustrating when you're waiting for a code to arrive and it doesn't it's not that I have a problem with my phone signal where I live but my problem is I wait for the codes. No Nothing comes for ages and then I get three or four of them all together it's very very frustrating Catherine says those banks may have as well be closed anyway as you couldn't speak to anyone in the branches that they've announced for closure you're only dealing with the machine so I don't think people will be that affected I do feel for town centres that will not have a bank branch within their town and it may lead to derelict buildings in the future it'll be a name over a door many of them are just a name over a door with the machine inside at the moment Con also says is as good news for post offices. Hopefully all services will transfer to the banks and the post offices also have longer opening hours. And Lisa says, I don't understand all the fuss about the banks. The banks were already closed. It was just a name over the door. My father now does a lot of his banking via the credit union or the post office anyway. He rarely uses the banks. So I feel banks now want younger customers who will only take out loans, transfer money, take on a mortgage without physically going in to the desk. And Anne is a former bank worker. I worked in a bank for many, many years. Now, not Bank of Ireland, she says. We always had queues of people. People loved to chat, but as more online banking came on board... More competition came into the sector and the younger clientele began using the lines of online banking and not physically coming into the branches. The older banks had to transform over the last seven years. Our bosses kept saying, keep things moving in the queue. Don't be having a chat with anyone. You're holding things up. Many people wanted to come in for the chat, but at the end of the day, chatting to the teller is not making money for the bank. Eighteen fifty-three-three-three-one-zero-three. 333 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp zero eight six two. 103
0: 103. Court today on C one oh three. With John
3: Cusack Insurance's can Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. C M I G dot
2: Now new research suggests that there is a broad lack of understanding about coercive control and how prominent it is, with four out of ten people admitting to not understanding what can occur in any close adult relationship. To discuss the findings of a study for safe. Guarding Ireland. I'm joined by their chairperson, Patricia ricard Clark. Good morning to you, Patricia. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, I suppose, can you start by explaining what coercive control is?
4: Uh, yes, indeed. Coercive control is the use of threats, humiliation, intimidation, can include assault, um, to make a person dependent uh, on the other person. Or to isolate them in order to exploit them, deprive them of their independence, exercise control over their behaviour and their choices, make decisions on their behalf, and effectively, you know, to control uh, the other person. And uh, safeguard in Ireland is uh, really uh, anxious about this issue. We did a, a survey last year on the whole question of psychological abuse, and obviously, uh, we feel that if people you know that the, the high level of misunderstanding arises because people really doesn't don't understand what the worst control is um it can be very subtle um and it can occur really um with vulnerable adults so that's what Safeguarding Ireland are concerned with so we one person trusts another or is dependent on the other, uh, particularly those who are in very vulnerable circumstances, people with intellectual disability, physical disability, mental health, dementia, or whatever. And they are, you know, they trust and are dependent on other people. And sometimes it's very difficult to uh, to, to, um, identify um, because it can be very subtle. Sometimes it comes across as caring, but the caring may grow into control. Uh, So it's really important that we respect... Uh, the other person and um, give them a sense of well-being because clearly coercive control has a huge effect on a person's emotional well-being.
2: And do you think at times people, because there's so little understanding of it, that people don't even realise that they're in a relationship where they are under the control of somebody else?
4: Exactly. And that's why it can be difficult to detect. But uh, you do, you you know, certainly people must be more aware of the situation. And also, uh, I suppose, as a society, our laws are way behind uh, what are in other jurisdictions. We don't have adult safeguarding legislation. We enacted the assisted decision making capacity act in 2015 it's not yet fully commenced that act has mechanisms and arrangements in it for people whose capacity may be at issue um, and for them to get support and help and enter into legal arrangements but at the moment we don't we've old archaic 1871 legislation where people just take over control and you know um, controls the person money controls where they live uh, controls who a person has contact with, make decisions on their behalf. So a per- person can live in a very controlling situation, particularly when they're vulnerable and dependent on others. And,
2: uh, oh, uh, but it is it is an identifiable crime in this country, but is that only within a relationship, within yes. a,
4: uh, in, an intimate in, in, relationship? Yes. Now, again, you know, obviously domestic violence, it has come to the fore recently and we had a a trial recently on coercive control and we had a few other cases where people obviously admitted didn't go to trial. In our domestic violence legislation, our Act of 2018 came into effect 2019. A new offence or crime of coercive control was introduced in that legislation. But it is limited to people who are or have been in an intimate relationship. So it does not extend to adults who are in close relationships, who are dependent on on one another. And this is really particularly important in relation to vulnerable adults. So what Safeguard in Ireland would like, would like to see an expansion of that legislation um, and also would like to see adult safeguarding legislation uh, to make sure all forms of abuse of vulnerable people Uh, are um, captured within a legal framework. There's an assessment of a person's need, assessment of the risk uh, that they're at and that they receive a service.
2: And because of this, as you said, the subtle nature uh, of it, do you think it's much more prevalent than we may actually believe?
4: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Absolutely, because uh, again, last year on our um, uh, quick survey we did, um, incidents of about 60% on psychological abuse on due influence And, of course, if if people don't even understand what course of control, we feel the incidence is much higher than the the survey indicates. So we need people. So that's what we're talking about, public awareness. We need people to be aware, uh, to be very, um, you know, uh, alert to people in vulnerable circumstances and to make sure and to look out for it again. um, Of course, we don't have adult safeguarding legislation. Therefore, who do we report to? But I would say report to the Gardaíes um in the first instance um 666 111 eight, or alternatively to the HSC safeguarding and protection teams 061-461-358 or to advocacy uh, organizations or whatever really important too that the person themselves can you know try and identify if they 're under the control of another person if they 're feeling very uncomfortable and get in touch with the uh, independent advocate service or the HSE safeguarding and protection teams really important that people do keep control over their own well being their money uh, their decisions uh, really important and again during covid nineteen um obviously, arrangements were made that people could ask other people, say particularly older people who were cocooning or people who couldn't go to post offices, people with intellectual disability were giving their um, PPS card and whatever to other people to collect their money. And again, we did another survey um, after the first lockdown and one third of people did not take back control. Now, is it that they didn't take it back or were not given it back? Um, mm-hmm. Really important, again, uh, that people are independent. They may need support and help in managing their money. They may need support and help in making decisions. But we shouldn't just make decisions or uh, take control over their money um, from them. So really important that we respect each person as an individual.
2: Yeah, and Ross, one of our listeners, says coercive control can eventually move on to aggressive and violent behaviour.
4: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And 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 even sometimes can be more aggressive than physical. You know, you can see physical abuse sometimes, uh, but you can't see emotional abuse uh, very well. It can be very hidden. So really important and people can be very hurt and damaged by it.
2: Yeah, and it needs to be called out for what it is. It is abuse. Indeed. It is it abuse. Is. All yeah. right, uh, Patricia, listen, thank you for that and um, continue good luck with the fantastic work that you do with Safeguarding Ireland and thank you for joining us on the programme today. Well, thank you for having me. Good thank morning you, to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Patricia Rickard-Clark who is Chairperson of uh, Safeguarding Ireland for us all just to be aware of uh, of control. 1850 333 A couple of calls coming in on vaccine. Uh, Leo in Douglas. I feel we're moving so slowly. My friends in relations in the UK are all been vaccinated at this stage uh, while I and others are still waiting here while Jenny says great news this morning look, the local GP has been on to my mother my mother is 81 and she's getting her vaccine tomorrow so they have moved a number of GP practices while they're still doing the over 85s GP practices that have all of their over 85s done have started to move down out to the 80 to 84s but that's not quick enough I think for a lot of people Sinead Passage West says my sister's in Cardiff has received her vaccine. She got it in mid-February. She was telling me on the phone last night of how Wales are getting ready to reopen, and plans are on about shops opening, bars, cafes, all going to reopen again. So frustrating to hear this, while we just get them. Har- while well, all we seem to hear them is on about harping on about washing our hands, wearing our masks, and uh, keeping a safe uh, distance. Oh, listen, it will it will come to pass, and as she you're right, Wales are starting they're preparing to come out of lockdown but so is Northern Ireland and I think that's going to be a huge issue around the border counties if Northern Ireland are seen to be moving on and their hairdressers are open and their cafes are open and people are going out maybe outside dining or whatever they decide to do it's going to get really really frustrating for people on the border counties but listen we'll get there we will get there and those vaccines will start to arrive the big push now is for the Johnson & Johnson for the European Medicines Board I think it's I must check out the date I think it's something and we're in the middle of March that they are expected to give the go ahead for the Johnson & Johnson and that of course is what everyone is saying is the game changer because it is it's a one shot vaccine that doctors can just store in in their normal fridges and we've huge orders in for that. Now the Construction Industry Federation say keeping building workers idle in this current level 5 lockdown is more likely to help spread the virus than contain it because some will start doing nixers. Joining me Connor O'Connell who is Director Of the southern region of the CIF. Good morning, Chia Connor. Good
5: morning, Patricia. How are
2: you? I'm very well, thank you. Do you believe some builders and tradespeople are already doing nixers?
5: Well, if you look at the statistics at the moment, we estimate that there's approximately thirty to forty thousand people working on essential construction projects at the moment. Those ones uh, are ones that have been deemed to be essential under the statutory instrument which allows certain construction activities to continue. So they're working in very controlled environments where there's checks, there's balances, there's safety procedures, there's wearing of PPE. I'm not quite sure if mixers is the correct word, Patricia, but certainly we will be concerned about workers going from very controlled work environments, which they were working on prior to the shutdown on January the 8th, to uncontrolled work environments now which we understand, and all of this evidence is only anecdotally, Patricia, but nevertheless, it's very strong anecdotal evidence. They're going into work in domestic environments where those controls uh, on smaller jobs are simply not there. So, yes, it is a concern, Patricia.
2: Yeah, because we, certainly in this lockdown, when people say, oh, this isn't a real lockdown, there's an awful lot of traffic out on the roads, and and it is purely anecdotal evidence. We are constantly getting calls in from people saying there's tradespeople in our town working and they're using back roads and I'm seeing trucks and vans out the whole time. But it is important to point out that they, there are many that legitimately can work during this lockdown.
5: Absolutely. Um, under the statutory instrument, essential works are defined, for instance, certain social housing projects, um, even certain social houses on private uh, developments, You've got certain infrastructural works, for instance, Dunkettle Interchange, McCroom Bypass, the Port of Cork, all of those projects have been, they're the larger ones, they're easier to identify and illustrate the point, Patricia, but certainly, you know, works in the pharmaceutical plants because they're part of international supply chains, all of those types of works are are legitimately being undertaken at the moment and are allowed to continue. Um, Obviously, that causes a, a certain amount of, you know, angst in the industry when certain workers are are laid off at the moment and they're looking at other sites that are allowed to operate and they're wondering, why am I at home Um, uh, when I could be working quite safely out in the open doors in many circumstances? So, you know, that causes its own problems as well, Patricia.
2: And when the schools, and I know they partially reopened yesterday, but when that announcement was made last week, had, as an industry, had you hoped for a return for full construction?
5: Uh, putting it very mildly, Patricia, we were extremely disappointed. Um, we'd always... Um, look, if you look at the... Just look at the facts. I mean, we have 30 to 40,000 construction workers legitimately working away at the moment uh, quite safely and, as I say, in controlled workplace environments where we're used to risk assessment, we're used to wearing PPE, we're, you know, a large number maybe working outdoors as well in quite safe environments. So to say we're disappointed is putting it mildly. Um, we honestly believe that if you look at the mobility, we're always told that mobility is the big concern and workers travelling around uh, regions and inter travel, etc. But if you if you look at it, uh, 145 to 150 thousand people work in the construction sector. Of those, approximately 80 to 90 thousand work on sites. So you have a situation where, uh, in terms of mobility of workers, you've You've relatively small numbers that would be more that would be mobile as a result of allowing the industry uh, to open up. Another forty to fifty thousand approximately construction workers moving around. Uh, it's not that large a number in the context of all the other regulations. So we honestly believe we're quite capable of working safely because of all the factors that just outlined Patricia.
2: And no construction, Connor. Is that only adding to our housing list?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. We're at this time of the year We're very, very concerned about it. Cash flow, as you know, you know, there's an old expression in the construction sector: cash flow is king. Uh, and so we've had severe disruption to cash flow in the industry, which obviously is going to have a knock-on effect in terms of companies' ability to draw down loans to carry out those housing works. Maybe in the future, we just don't know yet. Um, and we're also we're the only sector, I believe. You no, know, we're the only major sector that are one of the most significant sector that has absolutely no business supports out there. So we've a large number of small and medium-sized enterprises, you know, with leasing arrangements, you know, planter companies, civil engineering companies, that simply have no means of um, meeting those arrangements at the moment and being told that look, this is going to affect your credit rating into the future. And so we're extremely concerned about the impact. And obviously, Patricia, we, you know, just to make a final point in relation to all of this, is that you know, right across Europe, the construction sector has opened. Um, and
2: Yeah, um, I can see a couple you know. of listeners are pointing that out. If you go to any other country, uh, construction hasn't uh, closed down. And I saw uh, someone on the paper talking about somebody who's in the middle of a house build and obviously the house build had to uh, stop. And now there's damage been done to the house that's exposed, and and the builder is saying, you know, I, I can't carry the loss for this when we do get back. So you know, there's there's a huge knock on effect for so many people here.
5: There is. There's very significant cost impacts as well. Um, look again, it'll all depend on what type of project you're working on. But I would advise there, and we did advise our members about a week ago we spent um, a special all-member circler on it, is that there will be a need, and it is allowed under the statutory instrument, for certain uh, maintenance-type activities to be carried out, emergency repairs, etc., so uh, a, a big one would be, you know, timber framed houses um, under construction at the moment. They will need to be weathered urgently, uh, mm. given the
2: weather. And, and you and, and you are allowed to do that under you the yeah yeah. And, the and then of course of there's a lot of the bigger projects, uh, and I know many of them are in uh, Dublin that's at a standstill. And one of them, I think that I, that I know a number of our listeners have spoken about, and it's the Amazon distribution centre. They were planning they're planning a huge big distribution centre because of uh, Brexit. It. And that's you know a project like that has just stopped
5: it has and look again at the moment um it's it, it's quite obvious you know we, the impact on foreign direct investment into this country, if we're the only construction sector that is shut down um that's placing us as, as a disadvantage to other countries when it comes to inward investment into the future um you know it'll have a reputational impact. look, there are many. You know, FDI clients at the moment, you know, looking to even in these times, uh, believe it or not, finish out their office projects and the fiddles for their office projects. And um, there's other there's other projects that have come to in. An- a stall, and that 's not helping us it 's not helping us in terms of foreign direct investment.
2: okay, and on a very positive note, certainly for you for your industry, Eddie and in Mallow says I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Connor from CIF. Look at the meat factory workers. The factory workers are on top of each other they 're in confined spaces they 're inside, inside in the factories, and look at the amount of clusters we 've seen coming out of meat plants, whereas the construction workers much more responsible and you never see major outbreaks from the building sites and that's really where you started this uh, conversation yes. there hasn't been
5: no major clusters been. no i think the figures look they do fluctuate so you take a snapshot in time i think over the last number of weeks um when you know it's been at its peak and we are dealing with several thousand cases a day in january the number of cases in the construction industry fluctuated you know around 42 50, I think they reached at one stage, gone back down to 28 another week. The figures are very, very small in comparison to other workplace environments. And one of the key issues in the construction sector that, look, we always try and and mention, Patricia, is that there's a culture of health and safety now in the industry. Workers themselves have bought into this culture. You know, you wear your PPE, you protect yourself. So they're used to doing these risk assessments in the controlled environments and regulated environments I'm talking about. So there's a big buy-in amongst the workforce.
2: Okay. All right. Well, um, you're, are you hopeful now for the start of April? Jeez. Leo Varadkar in his letter to his parliamentary party is kind of hinting that construction will be next, but it'll be the start of April or the month uh, away.
5: We, look, Patricia, we have to. We just have to get back going. Um, the consequences of this would be you know, if we're not back working in the first week in April, the consequences of this would be
6: devastating for the okay.
2: industry. All right, thank we'll you. speak again, Connor. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Conor O'Connell, who is director of the Southern Region of the CIF.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Can I just offer advice to one of our listeners to say, hi, I've searched online and I can't find any information on the new quarantine travelling travel restrictions. My elderly father has been stuck in Portugal with family since the second lockdown. He wants to come home. He needs to come home now, as he has been called for his vaccine. But he's terrified to book a flight. He will have a negative COVID test and he will quarantine at home for two weeks, but he couldn't afford the hotel quarantine, which we're told is going to be uh, €2,000. I know it was passed yesterday, but is Portugal included? It was passed uh, yesterday, but it still has to be signed off by... It goes to the president to be signed off. So we still don't have a start date on when the hotel quarantine comes in. But even if it was in from today, Portugal is not on the list. I think there's 20 20 countries now that will be included where you will have to, regardless of if you have a negative COVID test or not, you'll have to go into one of the quarantine hotels and stay there for 14 days. But it's countries like Angola, Botswana, uh, Malawi, the Mauritius, Mozambique, the Seychelles, Zimbabwe, Argentina, there's a number of South Af- South American countries, Brazil is on it. Uh, Panama, Paraguay, Peru uh, and then in Europe the only one I can find for Europe so far is Austria and also included is the United um, Arab Emirates so no Portugal is not on it so your father will be okay to book a flight and get home he will have to have a negative test done and uh, he'll have to have a Covid test done 72 hours uh, before he travels and then he'll have to do what all other travellers coming to this country must do he'll have to complete the Covid-19 passenger locator form to say where he will be uh, for the next uh, 14 days and have his Covid test. So I would be saying to your dad to book his flight ASAP. Now you're going to have to check in with his GP practice as to what's going to happen about his vaccine date if he's doing his quarantining at home, but you can get all that checked once he gets home. But I would be suggesting that he books his tickets. But no, at the moment, Portugal, even if the hotel quarantine comes in from midnight tonight, say, Portugal is not on that list at the moment. Now we do know and the government have, have said that there's 20 countries on the list and that's a list that will be updated and countries will be taken off it depending on how that country is doing when it comes to uh, COVID-19. On construction workers uh, John says Patricia I see window company vans in Carrigaline from, the, from outside the area there's a gang also uh, who are tarmacking a private driveway they're from the West Cork area and there's also a plant hire company from North Cork why are these people allowed to travel we have no laws Uh, 5k my ear says John but again as I tried to get across when we did our interview with the Construction Industry Federation. Construction is closed, but there are exceptions. So it's very possible that some of the people that you're talking about are doing jobs, for example. Social housing projects, including voids, which are designated as essential sites by the local authority. They could be falling in under it. The tarmacking of a private driveway. I can't see in the list how that's been covered, but that ties in with... What the Construction Industry Federation are saying that they want construction to get back up and running because more people are going to be pushed into doing nixer. So unless it's a nixer that is uh, going on, but uh, John, we, we get calls in almost on a daily basis, people saying and telling similar stories and I can't understand how work is going on. But there there are exceptions when we say construction is closed, it's not completely closed down as it was say, in the first lockdown. There are between thirty and forty thousand, I think, the Construction Industry Federation who are saying are legally entitled to work because they're part of the exemptions but there are also people who have decided to just go ahead and work anyway. I just can't understand though how they would take the risk of being, particularly those ones that you're mentioning, John, they're all well outside their 5k mark. We know that there are guard checkpoints around the place. So I don't know how they're taking the risk because we did have Kieran to say, Patricia, in relation to your discussion on COVID payment and tradespeople working and travelling, I am entitled by law at the moment to travel to my work as a tradesperson. And I'm also entitled to claim the pandemic payment while earning the amount shown. And uh, Kieran sends me in a piece of citizens' information. I have an official letter from my place of work, which allows me to travel to and from work if, if they're stopped. And actually, if you are self-employed, you can earn up to, it was €960 Euro over eight weeks and keep your pandemic payment. Uh, that was brought into the time I remember that particularly covered taxi drivers, um, I, I'm sure as well. But obviously, it covers tradespeople as well that they can earn so much and be entitled to their pandemic uh, payment. So there are certain jobs that are allowed to uh, go Ahead, But people are just a bit suspicious that there's more going on that should actually be going on. And then another different, John, says everybody is on about vaccines. Do people realise we will have a fourth wave? The fourth wave is coming. Make no mistake about it. Is this the wave that will come out from our schools? I hope not. How are we opening up the country? Tougher times ahead. And that's interesting. We've got some people who are screaming to have various restrictions lifted and saying, oh my God, come on, I can't cope with this anymore. You know, uh, we have the protesters in, in Dublin. We know there's going to be, there's a plan for a protest in Cork because people are frustrated and sick and tired of the restrictions. And then we've got people like that, John, who says we need to keep these restrictions in place. And if anything, I think John would feel we need tighter uh, restrictions, So there is a real divide on that. Hi Patricia, will medical cards be renewed this year? Will we get an automatic one, automatic one like we did last year? We looked into that a number of weeks ago and we're told no, that happened during the first lockdown. But it's not happening this uh, time. There are reviews going on. But we are told that if you're undergoing a review, I think you can continue to use your medical card. Your medical card won't stop in any way. But no, they're not doing what they did um, last year. Hi Patricia, I was horrified to see the large protest in Dublin and the violent nature of some of the people towards members of Angarda Siakona. I hope the individual that fired the firework with intent to cause bodily harm, uh, I hope that those people are identified and arrested and I also hope that they face long custodial sentences. Anybody turning up at the Cork protest should be arrested. Simple as, says this uh, texter, and there is a call for the protest not to go ahead but there's others including as I said Dermot O'Kyla former Cork County Councillor is organising the event he says there's going to be no violence at it he's going to liaise with the Gardaí and uh, he says he's going to keep an eye out for people and they'll have anybody removed but I just hope he knows exactly who the people are because if you know how do you identify who who is going to cause if it's known troublemakers fine but if you have people coming from outside the area who are intent on causing trouble I think it's going to be a big big Gas, uh, indeed. I, I just hope sense is seen. Whatever about as I say, you know, we said earlier people are frustrated. We're going out and protesting in large numbers. The, the big fear I would have, I mean, and I I'm, I'm, would never be one to stop people from protesting. People have a right to protest and we live in a democracy that allow us to speak up and say, I'm not happy with something. But I think with what's going on in this country at the moment, for the greater good of everyone, what we don't want is that a large group decide to protest and somebody turns up that has COVID-19 that, they don't even realise they've COVID-19 and it turns into a super spreading event and then everybody leaves anyone in contact then leaves and brings the virus home with them and on and on it goes particularly when we're doing so well I know the numbers are still Hi, but they're coming down slowly, slowly coming down and fantastic news coming out of the hospitals, how, how well the hospitals are doing. I mean, they're still under pressure, but they certainly are seeing huge fall off in the numbers, which is giving a bit of breathing space to the people working in the hospital. So, you know, people need to stop and think of our frontline workers and what they have been put through particularly during this wave, at the height of this wave. I mean, if you saw any of those TV programmes, there was another one on last night. I think it was St. James's Hospital, was it, that Virgin Media featured and the strain and the work that those you know people are under. So just even stop and think, you know, whatever, you know, you mightn't care whether you get COVID-19 or not, but you could pass it on to somebody who is medically very vulnerable, who will end up in one of those ICU units, struggling to breathe, struggling to stay alive and the pressure on themselves and the pressure that they're putting on the medical staff. So I really hope people uh, see sense. 1850, And then on a completely different topic, and I was wondering if we'd get a, anything in about this. This is to do with Gordon Elliot uh, and the photograph of uh, Gordon Elliot sitting astride a dead horse. He himself described it as a moment of madness that he feels he's now going to spend the rest of his life Paying for, I take it at this stage that everybody has seen this controversial image of him straddled across this horse that had died, uh, and the, the people are saying, "When was that photograph taken?" Somebody was wondering was it was taken many years ago. It was actually taken in uh, 2019, but it only emerged on social media at the weekend. And I don't know who put it up on uh, social media. Speaking to the Racing Post. Gordon Elliott said he what he did was, he said it was indefensible. He said that whether dead or alive, the horse was entitled to dignity, a moment of madness that I'm now going to spend the rest of my life paying for and that my staff are suffering for. I will be punished. I fully understand that. But it absolutely breaks my heart to hear people say that I have no respect for my horse's This couldn't be further from the truth. He said that when your world starts crumbling in front of you, he said it's a scary place to be and he hoped people would understand how truly, truly sorry he is and find some way to forgive him for what he has done. He insists that he treats each and every one of the horses he trains with the utmost respect and that uh, his team pride themselves on having the highest standards. He said, I can guarantee this will never happen again to any animal dead or uh, alive, and the gold cup winning trainer said he was alerted to the pitcher 's existence on Saturday, and his re- initial reaction was it couldn 't possibly have been me he actually to look at the photographs himself, and I know a number of people were were hoping absolutely hoping that it had been uh, photoshopped but then he realised no that is him in the picture and he did sit astride the horse I think he said something about that the phone rang and he took the phone call and that he sat down on the horse and the way his fingers are up one of the work workers with him are saying you know come on we need to remove the horse the horse had died out on the gallops and that he'd gone down to help remove the horse and this, he, the reason his fingers are up almost like in, it's almost like it's a victory sign but he explains that in a way as him saying to one of his workers saying come on Gordon we need to remove the horse him saying like two minutes two minutes I'm just finishing off the phone call who took the photograph obviously when the workers took the photograph there and then how it ended up in social media I don't know anyway a listener says Cork is steeped in horses I would love to know what your listeners think regarding the Gordon Elliot story and photograph We have some super trainers and breeders and owners here in Cork. Does this man deserve a second chance? Don't we all at some stage make bad judgment calls? But how many of us are photographed making such poorly thought out choices? I think that he certainly does need a good slap on the back of the hand. But regards banning him for life, is that going too far? So how do other, and that listener is right, we are certainly a county that's steeped in horses and we do have some some super trainers and breeders and uh, owners and some gorgeous horses uh, in this county, county. and uh, you know a lot of people are coming at this from the animal rights issue even though the horse was dead but the dignity even in death that, the, that those beautiful creatures should be given and there was many people very very upset by this uh, yesterday and you could see people, you know Emotional, visually you know, emotional over this uh, photograph. But where do people stand um how Gordon Elliot should be treated as a result of this? You know, as he says um, himself, he does need to be punished for it. It was, it was a stupid thing uh, to do. It was a moment of madness. But should he, as he said, spend the rest of his life paying for it? Should he be reprimanded, fined, whatever? Banned for a certain period and then should he be allowed to move on your thoughts welcomed on that somebody as I said that particular uh, texter making the point we all make bad uh, choices but that he shouldn't pay for it for the rest of his life so your thoughts welcomed on that on the Gordon Elliot controversy raging at the moment 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your call so if you want to text me you can or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103 See 103 Jobs An arctic truck driver is needed, Uh, it's for work in the Newmarket area. While a person is wanted for car valeting, that's in Bantry. Technicians are wanted for installing and servicing robotic mowers, training will be provided. And talking of horses, an experienced horse groomer is wanted for work in the Mallow area. Full-time, flexible hours are part-time, may also suit. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
0: Court Today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.
2: Now, hope has been lifted for the return of nursing home visits uh, within weeks after robust evidence emerged that vaccines are leading to a significant drop in infections and deaths among residents. Ty Daly, CEO of Nursing Home Ireland, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Ty. Good morning,
7: Patricia.
2: Now, at this stage, has nearly every nursing home now been vaccinated? Are we at that stage?
7: We are. Now, there may be some individual residents within individual homes uh, that haven't been in a position to, to take the vaccine, for example. Uh, but yes, all nursing homes have, have uh, at this stage, the vast, vast majority have received the vaccine and have received the second dose. So very, very positive uh, developments, And it's thanks to the hard work of the vaccination teams working with the, the staff in all residential care centres that this has been a, a very robust uh, effect and efficient uh, rollout, thankfully.
2: Are there still some cases of COVID-19 in nursing homes?
7: There are, unfortunately, yeah, there are. There are in excess of 100 open outbreaks. Would you believe at this point in time still? Now, it's important, I suppose, to point out that an open outbreak is is still, you know, 28 days post uh, the most recent case. Um, so while matters have improved considerably, thankfully, over the last uh, number of weeks, you know, there's still a high degree of vigilance required uh, to ensure that we can continue to to maintain the safety and and, and welfare of all of all residents and staff ultimately.
2: But most have had second va- second shots and everything by now, haven't they?
7: Oh yeah, the vast vast majority, thankfully, have at this stage. Um, I mean, it, it commenced as you know in early January. Uh, um, you know, a small setback then when it was you know cut out to twenty eight days in between vaccinations. Uh, but by the end of uh, by the end of last month, now uh, everybody has been, uh, everybody that's willing to take it has been offered. And the other very very positive news. Uh, on the vaccine as you've alluded to in your opening remarks there about the the fall in, in lab detected infections which is, which is really really encouraging is the high uptake as well of both residents and staff is very encouraging as well so clearly we're in a much much better place but uh, by the same token we cannot uh, when I heard Paul Reid saying last week every time we get on top of this virus that Uh, it it comes back to challenges again so I can assure you there's no complacency whatsoever but hopefully we're in a much better place and
5: and brighter day
2: and the other good thing I think for people who are now you know waiting to get their vaccine and and already this morning we're hearing from uh, some people whose parents over the age of 80 are getting phone calls and there's much excitement about them heading off to their GP practice there's little or no uh, side effects a sore arm, people feeling a little bit unwell for a day or two but um, most people just getting on with it and and everything's okay
7: yeah very very minor and, and again you know a lot of good, good advice there for people in terms of you know drinking some uh, water you know the day before maybe taking Panadol in terms of preparing for the vaccine so no the the, uh, the side effects have been uh, thankfully very very minimal
2: yeah which is which is great now the big yeah. question is the nursing home uh, visits um, at Tig. have you any expectations when we can expect to see some kind of visits face to face visits in nursing homes
7: Look, it's, I can assure you it's a massive priority for all of us now at this stage. I mean, I, uh, we, we've been engaged with with the Minister uh, since the 4th of February on this because we wanted to begin the process, not necessarily name a date or not necessarily say when, but at least begin uh, a very, um, I suppose, uh, consult- consultation process and, and, and con- conversation around when, when we can do that. So last week, the National Public Health Emergency Team agreed that they would review the guidance again and my understanding is that the guidance will be for an again within the, next, uh, within the next week to 10 days.
2: Somebody's wondering about uh, staff working in nursing homes. Have many refused to take the vaccine? N-
7: negligible is the information that we have. I mean, I saw some figures recently from... Uh the National Immunisation Advisory Council, and they were saying the take-up was 99%. um, And that would be the anecdotal evidence from from ourselves as well. I mean, there may be a small number who, for whatever reason, are not in a position to take it, and I think we have to be understanding of of that as well. Uh, But clearly there's been a very strong campaign of support for the vaccine Right across the, 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 country and supported by obviously the HSE and, and, um, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, but also by ourselves in Nottingham's Ireland promoting the vaccine. So, uh, no, thankfully a very, very small number.
2: And a big uptake, you say, amongst the patients, the residents themselves really want oh, yeah. to vaccine.
7: Yeah. Ab- absolutely. You know, there's been a few as well who, who feel that, uh, you know, um, they they are not in the position to take it and again you have to respect that but uh, in terms of residents yeah it is definitely in terms of residents 99 uh, 99 so again you know the the efficacy of the vaccine we know a lot more now when i spoke to you back even a month ago or even indeed in early january i suppose there was a a little known about it you know a new vaccine etc but uh, what we're seeing right across the world i mean a lot of information from israel A lot of information even from the UK just in the last number of days about the effectiveness of the vaccine. So that's all very, very good news.
2: Yeah, and even I saw a survey out today showing in the general population, the people who want to get the vaccine. I mean, it's well up in the 80s. I think it's close to 85% of people when they get offered a vaccine, which is very different to say what it would have been earlier on.
7: Yeah, absolutely. All of the indicators are, are moving in the right direction. I mean, we, we've we experienced in the health service generally of the flu campaign, for example, or the flu vaccine. I mean, in some cases, that could be as low as 60, 65 percent. Um, whereas the the information on, on the COVID-19 vaccine, as I say, it's well north of 90, 99 uh, percent in terms of residents and well north of 90 in terms of staff as well. So, uh, as I say, all of the, all of the indicators are very positive in that score.
2: Are nursing homes getting a lot of calls about wanting to get in for a visit, Tyke?
7: Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose the, the point we've made to uh, public health and, and the HPSC and our engagement with the department, the HSC and the ministers, is that we need to ensure that we uh, don't let a vacuum create where people are wondering what's happening. Because, you know, there is a, all of that good news around the vaccine. There's an expectation there now that, you know, I have been vaccinated, I've had my two doses, we can go back to normal. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But surely we can get to a position whereby we can ease the visitor restrictions significantly, particularly if you have all residents and staff, and even more so if you have the visitor vaccinated. Uh, You know, all of those steps. So what we're looking at at the moment, and we have, as I say, a consultation with the Health Protection Surveillance Centre as we speak, uh, is looking at all of those building blocks. I mean, clearly, we'll still require infection control measures. We'll still require face coverings for some time. We we, we may require, you know, temperature checks, etc. And we've also proposed, as you know from our previous conversation, that antigen testing, the rapid testing, should be considered as part of a a suite of measures. Now, each of those on their own is not any silver bullet. So what we're saying is that all of those individual elements, the, 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 the composite effect of all of those individual elements, should make it a lot more safe uh, to resume in-person visits because there's a huge, huge yearning there now to get back to some normality. And as we know, older people generally, but those in residential care, have have borne the brunt of this pandemic. And um, we do need to, I suppose, begin to uh, shine a light and, and, and show a beacon, I suppose, of light, if you right, like, in, in terms of when we can get back to safe in-person visiting.
2: Yeah, because we had a woman who contacted us last week and she's a nurse and she's fully vaccinated and her mother's in a nursing home, she's fully vaccinated. She hasn't seen her mother since before Christmas and cannot understand why she can't get in to see when both of them are uh, vaccinated and there's probably many other cases uh, similar to that. And then I was watching on the BBC And obviously, I know in the UK they are further ahead of us, but they're allowing one-on-one visits down to exactly what you were saying. Wearing of masks, the antigen testing uh, is even being insisted. But they were even allowing visitors not to hug, but to hold hands.
7: Yeah, no, I mean, we have a good engagement as well with our colleagues in Scotland in particular. And the, the Scottish care and the Scottish government guidance came out last Wednesday. Uh, was published last Wednesday, rather, and that became effective uh, just this Monday, yesterday. So that that lists all of those elements, and I, I'd be hoping that you know, with with the goodwill on all sides, uh, and with you know, strong public health advices, we can. Very much mirror what's happening in in, in that jurisdiction. Yeah, as you said, they are further down the road, and I did you know note that the the chief clinical officer of the HSE and indeed the, the deputy chief medical officer have been saying the last while that they're still very cautious, and I can understand their caution. Uh, but by the same token, we, we do need to say to people look. The, the, the guidance is under review, which it is, and we hope to be in a position collectively all of us to be able to issue uh, you know some. Uh, indication of 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 the the further um, easing of restrictions in the in, in the coming in the coming weeks.
2: Okay, and then I saw you on the paper yesterday giving an explanation for the uh, the lower uptake of serial testing in nursing homes.
7: Yeah, that was a question that came up I think before Christmas now if I recall where um uh, the, the examiner had reported that uh, the take-up on serial testing was was down at about 74%. Yeah. I mean, again, for your listeners' point of view, serial testing has been ongoing in nursing homes. Uh, at one stage, it was weekly, and uh, now it's every, every two weeks. And, you know, staff have been marvellous, as we know, throughout all this pandemic. So they're being tested literally every two weeks. So the figures that have been published by the HSE a number of months ago, and I think they issued clarification as well themselves, in effect, I suppose to, to, to keep it simple, what happens is that if, if Tug, uh was working in a particular nursing home and had left uh, or had ceased working in that home, the person would still remain on the, ah. on, on, the on the national database on the SWIFTQ system uh, and may not be have, may not have been taken off. Or if if, if had, had maybe got COVID, or indeed if Tig had been um, moved on to another facility, so there was a, a, an element there of. I suppose the, the cleaning up, if you like, for the want of a better word, of, of the actual database. So the numbers are again, in terms of serial testing, well north of uh, well north of
2: 90%. Okay, all right. So you're hopeful, anyway, that back to where we started with the visits,
7: yes. they'll
2: be slow and phased, but, yeah, be, word, but be patient.
7: That's right. That's what we're asking you. I and mean, look, people have been so, so patient. I mean, I can only. Uh, imagine what it's like for families Uh, and I know from talking to residents how difficult, or from, from talking to members rather, how difficult it is for residents and for families, but be assured that all of us walking collectively together and walking with families and walking with residents we we hope to be in a position shortly that to, to have some very positive news on that score. But as you said, be patient, because the last thing we need to do, as I say, without it goes without saying, obviously, but we do need to maintain vigilance. And, you know, we can't always have a large footfall of, of numbers of people through any individual nursing home either, and people will understand the reasons behind that as well.
2: Okay, listen, we leave it there. We'll speak again, Tig. in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. That is uh, Tig Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. And before I went into that piece, I mentioned the Gordon Elliott uh, photograph that was doing the rounds of social media yesterday with Gordon Elliott himself uh, saying uh, that it was a moment of madness that he's now going to spend the rest of his life paying for, and one of our listeners feels that he shouldn't spend the rest of his life paying for it. Yes, he should be reprimanded, But uh, banning him for life, one of our listeners feels is uh, too extreme. Some of your thoughts coming in on this. Michael says, Patricia, hi. Uh, I'm sorry, but Gordon Elliott just blew trust. His just blew it. Trust is gone. Grave error of judgment. You wouldn't catch Willie Mullins doing that. However, if he gets a slap on the wrist, he will be honoured forevermore by animal rights, etc. When you are in a position like that, you simply don't do things like that. Thanking you. That's from Michael. Someone else by WhatsApp says he should have his licence taken away. Full stop. Heidi says, Patricia... There are too, there's too much cruelty to animals, be it cats and dogs and horses. This guy earned lots of money from horses. And yes, people that treat animals in a way that can mean they have no feelings or dignity. We have to show this is unacceptable and people need to answer for their behaviour. We must show no place in this world for animals animal cruelty. And then some of your texts, a lot of texts coming in on this. Patricia, I think what Gordon Elliot did was a very stupid thing to do. Very disrespectful to the horse. He just wasn't thinking at all. But I don't think all his staff should be punished for his stupidity. With so many people out of work because of this pandemic, these people need their jobs and the horses need them too. Kind regards. That is from Marie. Douglas Listener says, Gordon Elliot, the horse trainer, did a stupid thing but he wasn't cruel how many of his critics will sit down to a nice roast lamb a poor baby taken from his mother and slaughtered double standards there says a Douglas listener a Kerry animal lover says hi Patricia the horse was dead it isn't that the owners were going to come and take him away he wasn't going to be buried and get a headstone he was going to go to the factory and they'll make glue from him. The person that circulated the photograph, that's the person that has an agenda. Why did he or she circulate it? Yeah, I'd love to know we get to the bottom of that as well. And that signed a Kerry animal lover. Liz says, what's all the fuss about? People sit on live horses. The horse was dead. I just don't get what all the fuss is about. John says, horses are only numbers in big Horse racing yards. It's all about money. Horses are only numbers. One dies and there's another one waiting to take his place. Gordon Elliott should be banned for six months. He might think better in the future. At the end of the day, the horse is good feeding for dogs. Oh, John. What a way to put it. But you're probably right. What about the person who posted the photo? Surely they should be reprimanded for posting it. Someone else says Gordon Elliot should not be punished. He takes great care of his horses. There's a lot of respect and love out there I have to say for Gordon Elliot. Hi Patricia regarding the picture of Gordon Elliot. Please look at the full video. He was astride the horse himself and his friends were having a great laugh. It's absolutely awful. The poor poor horse so traumatic to see. Actually, that's interesting. Was it a video rather than a photograph? Because I did think the image of the photograph didn't look very clear. Which led me to believe was that it is still from from a video. Is I there's a video circulating. I must try and see it because I didn't I didn't realize it was a video. According to this listener, it is a video. And if you see the full uh, video, it might change people's opinions on what Gordon Elliot did. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. John Paul taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103, 103.
0: Court today on C one oh three
3: with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They've don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: I was delighted to hear this week that another 17,000 additional previously unavailable genealogy records relating to the Greater West Cork area are now online to view and it's free of charge. To find out more, I'm joined by Terry Kearney of the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. Good morning, to you, Terry.
8: Good morning Patricia, thank you very much for having me on Well listen,
2: you guys are doing the most amazing work just remind listeners what you're doing with the burial registers
8: Sure, Um, well thanks to the very kind um, cooperation of Cork County Council they've been fantastic supporting us what we're doing is we are photographing the original burial registers and we're up to 68 graveyards now but we're working on more so these registers are kept by the registrar and they record people buried in these graveyards over various periods. And they're really, really handy, very vital documents because the particularly the older graves, a lot of them are uninscribed, so you don't know who's in them. Mm. So these burial registers have all that information and they're kept locally by the registrar. So in order to get this information, you have to try and find a registrar and ask them and so on. And they're also very precious um registers. So we've made a copy of them and then we've digitised them so you can look up on a name in a database and then you can view the original page in the register as well. Brilliant. Um, and how yeah. far back do they go? What's the earliest? Um, they go back to the early 20th century. Okay. Yeah, yeah they oh. vary according to the graveyard.
2: And because of the pandemic, many people have more time on, on their hands. A lot of people are starting to use that, aren't they, to trace their roots and find out more about their ancestors?
8: Absolutely. There's... It's, It's actually wonderful to see the interest Irish people have in those before them have respect they have. And, you know, outside of just sort of as a genealogy, the amount of people that are really interested in it, you know, that have discovered babies that died, that would be aunts or grand aunts or whatever that they didn't even know existed. Yeah. and and now they can mark them and they can know about them and bring them into family folklore and as you say there's a huge interest in genealogy now and finding out who we are which is fantastic.
2: Are you hearing from people all over the world at the Skibbereen Heritage Centre? The response has been phenomenal. <laughs> it Absolutely. doesn't surprise me. From
8: Australia, New Zealand all across America, Ireland everywhere and locally as well there's it, been an incredible response to this which is very gratifying because the team put in an almighty amount of work into this so, um, and we put our hearts and souls in. great to get such positive feedback to it.
2: Now, another project that you're, you're, you personally are very heavily involved with is the videos, the virtual video tours of the graveyards.
8: Absolutely love doing them, Patricia. To be honest, well, like yourself, I'm a graveyard person.
2: I, I, I don't know uh, what it is. You and, you and me have to meet up someday. Oh, I
8: love <laughs> it. I'll, I'll bring you to one of the nicer oh, ones. Oh.
2: <laughs> if, there can be, if there can be such a thing, I know it's a kind of a morbid thing, but it's just it's. But the latest one to go online is Dream League. Is Dream
8: League? Yeah, and they are just fascinating. And you know, I mean, people will think I'm a bit strange now saying this, but some of those stories wanted to be told. Mm. You know, there were so many strange coincidences when I was making that little video, you know, and it was like, okay, that person wants to feature, and okay, that person, you know, um, the little heart-shaped stone story you saw. You now, wanted. tell, tell oh. listeners about
2: that. This is a gorgeous story.
8: It is just fantastic, because one of the um, most heartbreaking things is, as I said, the earlier headstones, a lot of them aren't inscribed. So... People, you know, people knew where their where their grave was, their family grave, and they didn't need to be told. But that information has got lost. And this lovely family um, from Dunmanway had been looking. This lady and her brother had died when he was very young, um, and her grandparents and he, sorry, her brother had died when she was very young, and he was buried with her grandparents in this in this ancestral grave, and she was at the funeral as a young person, but she was a baby or a child, so she didn't remember where. So she had spent years going in and out of League, searching, trying to find this headstone. And a very strange coincidence happened. Well, the first of strange coincidence happened is her daughter just happened to go online and look at the School Folklore Commission records. You know, they're back to 1937, yeah. they recorded stories. And didn't she find a story about her grandfather finding this incredible stone when he was ploughing the field that had a little hole in it that was shaped perfectly as a heart. And there was a little sketch of it and everything in the school folklore. And Mary and daughter got on to her mum and said, oh, gosh, look, you know, what, what was in your grandfather's farm? And did you ever see that? And then and, and said, no, I've never seen that. I wonder what happened to it. And they never knew they were there on the 40th anniversary of her brother's death this is just lovely on the 40th anniversary of her brother's death and walking in and around the graveyard yet again to look at it and what did she fall over only a little small stone in the shape with the shape of a heart in it And there was the ancestral grave. She'd been walking past it all these years.
2: And she realised that uh, an ancestor had decided to mark the grave with that very stone.
8: Exactly. He'd chosen his special stone to mark his own grave. And it's a beautiful stone as well. But they had been walking past that every, well, every, you know, they'd made dozens of trips to the graveyard trying to find it. So it was just, and then the second coincidence happened when we were up there um, surveying it. And Barry, my colleague, who's who's done Trojan work surveying the graveyards with us, um, he happened to meet them and they were quite upset. You know, he didn't. I thought, you know, there's something. But they realised that they were upset with happiness because they'd finally found this stone and he said oh we're making my colleague is making a video about the graveyard would you mind if we put the story in and they very kindly let me put it in Well done
2: Well done It's, go- it's lovely right, it's, it's lovely And the and obviously the video once again uh, deals with the famine section of the of the Drimerley uh, graveyard and I have to say I was decided to watch it yesterday while having my lunch and there's parts of it are not for the faint-hearted some of the stories are just dreadful I mean yes. of they're unbelievable. Uh, nobody having the money or the will to be able to bury their dead and, and dogs and and
4: wild yeah. pigs. Yeah.
8: Oh, there was terrible shuff. problems with scavenging and so on. And that's why the impetus was to bury people quickly because there, you know, there was a problem with scavenging. But, um, and the yeah, woman the mass- who,
2: who buried all of her children, one by one, bringing her children
8: I know, I know, I know. That was absolutely heartbreaking. And you find there was another lady in Skibbereen, actually, the Widow Lynch, a similar story. Um, and she buried one of her children, one after another. And at the end, she met Dr Dan Donovan and she looked for money for a coffin. And he said, look, you know, I'll give you a shilling, but wouldn't you go buy yourself some food not to be getting a coffin for your child? And she said she had nothing left to live for. She bought the coffin, you know.
4: So God, help um, God help her. God help
2: her. And then the there's a, there's a tie in kind of in, in a loose way with the pandemic and what we're all going through at, at the moment. Yeah. The man who gave the local football club uh, its nickname, Scor-
4: yeah, scorcher. scorcher,
8: the John O'Mahony. That's a, it's it's again now. There's another strange coincidence. So I was researching him, and um, next thing, this email popped into the e- inbox from this gentleman in America and said, you know, I've been searching for the grave of my granduncle in there for generations and haven't been able to find it. And his name is John Mahoney, and he was known as the Scorcher. So I said, oh, that's very strange. So I emailed him back and said, here's the grave. We found it. I'm going to tell his story. Would you mind if that's OK? And he said, oh, yeah. Would you like his letters home from the front? So he sent all those letters that I quoted from. So poor John, quickly for the listeners that haven't seen the video yet, um was a fantastic footballer in dramamer league um, got his nickname because of his prowess on the football team captained the local team in nineteen o five headed off to war and the letters record what happened to him being buried in a trench for three days and being wounded here and wounded there. But all the letters home he's so lonely, you know he keeps he so misses home. And what's really noteworthy is he starts mentioning the dreadful disease, which, of course, is the Spanish flu. And he starts mentioning so-and-so died and -and so-and-so died and -and so-and-so died. And the poor devil was so excited about coming home and he finally got home. um, And when he got home, the poor devil, a couple of months later, died of Spanish flu. So
2: so sad. So, (laughs) so sad. And then a name that I'd never heard of before, William Feckman.
8: Yes. Yeah, yeah. His a... name caught my attention as well, and it's a great <laughs> story as well. What a what a um, what an unusual name! It is. He's up. He was up from Wexford, and um, it, it, his uh, his own memoir. He was born up in Wexford, and he inherited. Well, he was born, He was educated in Cork, but his family was from Wexford. And the story is, he inherited property and money when he was a young man, and he didn't have sense. And he lived the high life as any young man would do um and i think you know fell on harder times and found god and became a renowned preacher um and traveled all around and eventually sort of settled in west cork the methodist chapel in drumal is named in his honor but um he sounded a lovely man yeah, a genuine yeah. man as well and one of the one of the um pieces in his memoir that really caught my attention was the poor man, he had absolutely nothing. All of his parishioners used to mind him and feed him, and because he had no sense of money or anything, and he wore the same navy suit the whole time. And when the suit was so raggedy, they used to have to wait until the poor man would be in bed, and then they'd sneak up and they'd take the raggedy suit and replace it with a fresh one that he wouldn't have even noticed. And he'd go out again, but he was so dedicated or so unconscious of what was around him, he didn't even notice what he was wearing, you know, so Incredible. that's what his parishioners,
2: yeah. It's just, uh, and, and he's named, so there's no one of that name still living locally then, is there? No. No, no, no. no I wonder no, if there's anybody no. in Wexford still with that name. Have you ever, I've never yeah. come across that name.
8: Yes, that's what caught my eye on yeah. the headstone <laughs> actually, and it's a very unusual <laughs> headstone as well. It was put up to him by his parishioners in Druma League. which so shows so the high regard. Of. Yeah, exactly.
2: which which yeah. which is lovely. Yeah.
8: Any uh, other any other graveyards in production? I've got a lovely one coming up this week. Lovely one. Um, you understand? <laughs> me. I do. I do. <laughs> I get it. It's <laughs> a very interesting one coming up. Um, I'm nearly there now. I should have been publishing it on Thursday, and it's about Chapel Lane Graveyard in Skibbereen. And Patricia, I never thought I'd say these words, but. I fell in love with athenian did you yeah, <laughs> i did i fell in love with athenian um, the young man um early Fenian went off to fight in the american civil war um two fantastic stories very briefly about him one is um he There was a movie made about this, actually, but this was the man. The night before... He was in Bull Run. He was in Gettysburg. He lost his leg in Gettysburg, actually, the poor man, Dennis Downing. But the night before the Fredericksburg Battle, Dennis, with his Irish Irish fellow army mates, was on one side of the river, on the Union Army, and on the other side of the river were the Confederates, and they were waiting to have the battle the following day, this famous Fredericksburg Battle. And the night before the battle... Our Dennis started to sing Dear Old Ireland, which we do, you know, we up, old Ireland, dear old Ireland, yeah. Ireland boy, hooray. And it was all about Irish people being far away from their home, fighting for this new country. And he started to sing this song and all the other in the Irish regiment took it up. And apparently the Irish regiment on the Confederate side took it up and they sang most, they sang for hours that night. And then the next day they went into battle against each
2: other. That's a but, fabulous um, story.
8: Was Dennis Downing started that. Okay. And Very said, quickly. He lost, yeah, he lost his leg but he was um, commander of the company that executed Mrs. Surratt for her role in the assassination of President Lincoln.
2: There's some connection.
8: Abraham Lincoln. So there's a great there as well so I quite could, a few
2: more I could as always talk to you forever but I can't time is out <laughs> we, 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 we will meet very soon I promise you that when, when Patricia, this crazy I world, it. when it's Absolutely crazy world. go back to normal, as a pleasure talking to you Terry thank you for that thank and you. it is uh, skibheritage.com for more
0: court today on C103 with Sean
3: Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie you're listening to cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed
2: my thanks to Terry Carney from the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. I had to wrap the interview up for, really quickly because when I looked at the clock, I realised oh I was going to miss the news if I didn't uh, wrap it up. And just to remind people, if you want to look at any of the videos that we spoke about, the videos, the virtual tour, tours of the graveyard, or if you want to access any of the burial uh, records, it's all free of charge. It's um, it's, it's Skibberine Heritage Centre and they have a really good website. It's Skib with a double B, S-K-I-B-B, Skib heritage.com and that's where you can access the graveyard uh, videos and staying on a historical note uh, John O'Rearton has emailed to say Patricia can just to confirm that the book on the Moornabee Ambush. The story of the Mornabi Ambush is out of print at the moment but it should be available either again at the weekend but certainly it'll be available by next week. The book is on the 1916 Rising, Mornabi 1916 and the Republican Ideal. It'll be available at Phillips Bookshop in Mallow or John O'Reardon himself and Michael Keough of the Mornabi Heritage uh, Association will also have copies available out of print at the moment but they're back with the publishers through the this weekend are At the very latest, it'll be next week. Glad to give that a mention. Still getting a lot of commentary in on Gordon Elliott and the photograph of him sitting astride a dead horse. By the way, it looks like it wasn't a photograph. It was a video. There's a number of people have sent it in... To it's uh, have, have sent it in to say it was a video watch horrific viewing somebody uh, says so that therefore leads me to believe I won't be able to watch it somebody sent a link on on Facebook I'm assuming that's the link to the uh, video tough tough viewing says somebody else and somebody says yeah it wasn't a photograph Patricia it was a still from the video Joan says Patricia what's all the fuss about okay he shouldn't have sat on a horse especially with when someone obviously with an agenda took the photo photographer, we now know, a video and they weren't having a laugh. He got a call on his phone and people have to remember that those horses are not pets. It's a business. Who put the photograph up? He made a mistake. Fine him, says Joan, and then leave it at that. Tim and Mallow says, Patricia on the Gordon Elliot controversy, while it was stupid, juvenile and an insensitive thing to do. I feel sorry for the man who is now getting crucified at the moment. Members of the Racing Dynasty families have come out very quickly to put the boot into him. I wonder if he wasn't a self-made man who had been born into racing money. Would they've been so fast to criticise? People need to get off their high horses, pardon the pun, and learn to forgive. We all do stupid things. By the way, I see it's his—it's today's his birthday. God, Gordon Elliot will remember whatever age he is today he'll remember this birthday and I'm sure he's not celebrating uh, much. Thanks for that, uh, Tim. Stephen contacting boss by phone. John Paul took a flurry of uh, calls on this one. And sorry if you had problems getting through because as soon as I started to mention it when the original text came in, the phone lines lit up and John Paul does his very best to get through as many calls as he can. Stephen said, Ruby Walsh has said it could be a very long road back for Gordon Elliot. So says Stephen, if his peers are saying this, and saying he's a duty of care for animals dead or alive. But when his peers are saying it'll be a long way back, then it really will be a long way uh, back. But when you're in the public eye, you really have to be so, so conscious of your actions. Pat in Desmond, the horse was dead. What about the use of the whip when... They're racing horses. Is that not far more cruel? I feel sorry for Gordon Elliott. It was a kind of a spur of the moment thing and he got caught out badly. Jim in Clonacilty says the horse will be going to the knackery anyway. I become emotional looking at charity ads on TV about children, but I have to draw the line somewhere, says Jim in Clonacilty. Colman in Butthman says I think the country is full of hypocrites. Look at all the animal cruelty that's going on in this country. Very little talk about that. I agree that Gordon Elliot did something wrong but it was a spur of the moment thing. I can see the reason why people are angry but look home first but look firstly here at what's happening in this country when it comes to animal cruelty. Barbara in Fairhill what is wrong with those people giving out about Gordon Elliot? If you have a pet and he died what would you do? I had a dog for 21 years and I laid down next to him after he died didn't say anything wrong in that. Uh, Barbara, I don't know if you saw the video footage or if you saw the photograph. It's a little bit different than lying down because and you know, absolutely accept what you're saying and people just get so emotional when I loved. A, loved, a much loved pet dies and I've heard of people doing that before in, in their final goodbyes but that's very different to what this Gordon Elliot photograph is about I take it you haven't actually seen the photograph but thank you for your call to 1850 at 333103 OK and thank you to Antonette in Ahabalik also saying horrible viewing yes it was a, a video P- Patricia, Gordon Elliott has done nothing wrong in my eyes. And to those people pointing the finger, please just have a look at themselves. If your finger is clean, then it's grand. If it's not, then please be quiet, says this uh, listener. Okay, and then a couple of other issues. I am. Um, this is, is her name on this. No, I'm sick of this government and the doctors of doom and gloom doing nothing. Uh, we should be at least jabbing hundred thousand a week. We left one thousand five hundred Brazilian workers into this country. Now, there's, now there's a problem. Did Simon Cowley did anything about that? No. He didn't. Thank you. We need to be jabbing more people. I think we we'll would be jabbing more people if we could get more vaccines in. I saw Leo Varadkar. This is when he was writing to all of his parliamentary uh, party and telling them what they should and shouldn't be say, saying, you know, just trying to try and get rid of all these confused messages that, that are going out. He did say that the vaccination programme is going to be accelerated this month in March and certainly into April. And he says roughly a thousand vaccines, no, 100,000 vaccines will be administered per week in March. And then it'll go to between two and three Hundred thousand in April, so we're waiting for the vaccines. Once the vaccines come into this country, that's what the government are saying. As soon as we get them in, we will be giving um, a huge amount of jabs. But that's what they're expecting: hundred thousand a week by the end of this month, and then it goes to between two and three hundred thousand a week in April, which certainly would be a uh, good news. And Leo Rodker, actually, when he was when he was telling his party about that, um, he was also saying there won't be any major easing until uh, May. Uh, But he did say there would be some easing in April. In particular, he is saying that there will be some easing of restrictions around the five kilometre travel ban. And yesterday, if you were listening to the programme yesterday, I couldn't get over the amount of people who were commenting on the 5K travel ban. And people saying just so sick of the 5K and just saying, please, will you let us outside the 5K? Now, how far outside the 5K? in the ideal world I would leave us all travel around the county now when I mentioned that yesterday we then got a flurry of calls in from people particularly in very scenic areas down around West Cork down around the beaches was are saying hang on, hang on now a tick uh, we already have too many people in our area and the danger is if we open up the county to everybody in the county you get a fine day like that beautiful day we had on Sunday if everybody heads to the beach then we're into too many people all congregating so I don't know how we strike the balance but anyway Leo Radkar has said that is one of the things that's expected Uh, to be eased I imagine by the beginning of uh, April they're also looking at construction work with certainly the CIF that we spoke with earlier they'll be happy with that they're looking at easing restrictions on some outdoor activities my thought pattern on that would be golf will be allowed back maybe tennis and maybe meeting one other family outside. I know, even though with the school's going back, they're told, we've been told at the moment no play dates, but maybe there will may be a slight easing on that. And they're also talking about click and collect, because click and collect isn't there at the moment. But they're talking about maybe there will be lifting, they'll ease the restrictions on click and collect uh, as well. Again, it's just speculating, but that's what Leo Varadkar was saying to his party in the letter that he sent to. All of his members telling people what to do and what not to do, but in particular about trying to get the message out to, to, to communicate the correct message. Because I think that's frustrating to people that you'll have one politician saying something and then either they'll have to contradict it themselves or a member of another party in the government will come out and contradict it. And the confusing message message just seems to be driving people absolutely Now, someone has been on to us about returning items. Hi, Patricia. Back in December, I purchased some clothes from Marks and Spencers. Do you know, will they honour them? Will they take them back? Will they refund my money? I also have returns to go back to Dunn stores. It looks like this lockdown, certainly for those kind of stores, will go on until May my gut instinct would tell me, yes, they will have to honour it because if the shop wasn't open, you couldn't physically go back with it. But both of those stores are open for the food section and I know Dunn's is open for some of the hardware as well. I would take it if you're in shopping, if you're doing some shopping, just ask or give them a call, put a call through because certainly both of those stores are open at the moment. Maybe not for the items you're talking about, but I'm my gut instinct will tell me they will. They they will either refund or allow you to exchange. But I may put a call through just to, to be sure, to be sure. 1850 The kiddies went back to school yesterday. Great photographs in a lot of the papers and a mixture of excitement and apprehension. But there was lovely photographs of children uh, back in uh, school. And the the talk now is, particularly for the primary school children, should the primary school children be wearing face masks when they're inside in the classroom and it seems it's something that Neffert are going to discuss. The Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn said the formal advice is that children under 13 can wear a mask and should not be discouraged from doing so but it isn't mandatory and it certainly isn't mandatory inside in uh, schools. He said that it is unlikely the current advice allowing younger children to attend school without a mask is that at the moment it's, it, it is unlikely that it's set to change but he did acknowledge that you know 340,000 children went back to school for the first time uh, since uh, Christmas but they are going to look at this topic and face masks for younger pupils is going to be discussed at Neffet this week. He said I'm not necessarily anticipating a change but the expert advisory group is looking at the issue at the moment bearing in mind that the Irish National Teachers Organisation they are in favour of mask wearing for primary school children at the moment. It's all the secondary school children must wear face covering while at school but it doesn't cover the primary school children so if you have a smallie who went back to school yesterday I think maybe the older ones who were not back in school yes the third, fourth, fifth and sixth they may be okay I just don't know about the very small ones the junior infants will they tolerate a mask for when do they go in nine until about 22, 2 o'clock are there but it's a long time I just don't know if they, maybe they will maybe they will um, I don't know and of course Ronan Glynn again saying to all parents dropping their children off to school they should be wearing a mask and also saying to parents, please don't congregate. Yesterday was day one. I don't know how it got on uh, to any of the parents listening. Were there people congregating? Did you keep away from each other? And I know it would have been difficult because you would be meeting up with parents that you probably haven't seen the children. The majority of the children haven't seen each other since they broke up for Christmas holidays. So they have so much to catch up on, so much news to tell each other about. But imagine for the parents as well, and I mean, I certainly remember the day when I used to be dropping, my little fellow who's a big fellow now but I used to be dropping him to school and you know you became very friendly with the parents outside the school gates and you got to know each other well and you, you can never time it so that you turn up just as the school doors open and the small one comes out. So there is a sense of having a chat with each other and with the weather being nicer and people standing around. So I don't know how it worked yesterday. I suppose the advice is to try to space out but they're asking people not to congregate and not to get involved in big conversations. But when you are outside the school collecting your children, the message to the parents is please, please make sure you are wearing a face covering. And of course it wasn't just the smallies that went back to school. The leaving search students all over the country went back into class yesterday and we sent our senior news reporter Fiona Corkum. Uh, she visited uh, Colossia Davitt in the city to get the thoughts of leaving search students as they returned for the first time to the classroom since uh, Christmas.
9: In regards that we're the only year in the school so the atmosphere of the school kind of isn't really there but I suppose I'm happy to be back. Obviously I'm in Leaving Cert and I'm hoping to sit the exams so I think it was necessary to be back in order to progress and to be more motivated to study and stuff so I'm really happy. I've always kind of had the end goal in sight, so I've kind of hoped the exams would go ahead, and for that reason I've kind of been kept motivated to keep up and study, but it has been difficult given the challenges of being online and I suppose not having that one-to-one basis with the teacher in asking questions and stuff like that. So... um, Yeah, it has been difficult and challenging, but overall, I think I've managed to kind of cope well with it. I think it's really important to be able to have interaction with others. Obviously, being at home, you're a bit isolated and socially, it's quite an important year because you're preparing to kind of leave all this behind with going into college or progressing further. Um, So I think seeing my friends has been really good in that regard because we kind of do keep each other motivated in general anyway and having kind of that support group has been really nice.
6: I've been sitting at home for the last few months just in front of a Zoom calls really and it's better in a way because well you can actually talk to teachers now it's a lot easier uh, internet problems are gone because you know every now and then it'd be buffering and like the screen be frozen and just don't know what to do. Kind of yeah but it's kind of been Education-wise, yes, very challenging. But um, it's like I don't really mind the the, well, the isolation. It's hard, but okay. I think I've had I've been talking to my friends with PlayStation, playing games and stuff like that. You know, it's not that bad. But education, yeah, the Zoom calls were hard. They take out of you like you're just sitting there staring at a screen, and your eyes you'll get a headache. You're like at the end of the day, you're gonna have a headache and. I want to like I probably could have studied a lot harder but I, I think it's hard to do it online like some teachers they don't I think it was a few of them that didn't understand how to use the um, Zoom thing but um, I barely understood it either so it's not that bad.
2: all those kids delighted to be back to school it must be very weird being inside in some of those very large secondary schools with just the leaving cert class must be kind of a weird weird uh, feeling Uh, but good luck to all of them particularly the ones that are planning on sitting physically sitting the exams tough tough few months ahead for them and thanks to uh, Fiona Corcoran uh, for that on the what I mentioned about Neffet saying that they're going to take a look at the primary school children and should the primary school children be wearing masks while in the classroom. A listener says, I've got a son in second class. I would not be happy for him to have to wear a mask. For God's sake we need to learn to live with this virus. I myself work in Frontline in a Cork hospital. It's hard enough for me as an adult on a 12 hour shift. Would not like to think of her son in class wearing a mask for, for the duration of the day. I think it will be really hard particularly on the uh, small Anyway we'll wait and see what Neffet uh, come up with. And a couple of people reacting to my chat with Terry Kearney of the Skibbereen Heritage uh, Centre and it's a very interesting listening to Terry from Skibbereen speaking about the graveyards and those people during the war and during the famine time. So, so uh, sad. I'm really interested in Irish history. kind regards, Suzanne. I think a lot of people are starting to look at genealogy. You know people with more time on their hands uh, during lockdown. It's become a hobby of so many people. And a Douglas listener just on Cemetery says I passed a very old lady looking over the wall of our local cemetery, and I said, "Are you all right?" And she said, she looked at me through very sad eyes and says, "And said my whole childhood is in there." Oh, God, isn't that just heartbreaking? And well done for taking the time to, to chat with her, socially distance and all of that and reaching out uh, to somebody. I'm sure by you even talking to her, you probably made her day. Well done. OK, I'm back to Gordon Elliot. Somebody saying, strange how people feel fine posing with their children next to a dead seal or a dolphin. Do you know when they wash up on the shore? Poor Gordon Elliot says this texture. There's a lot of cruelty goes on in this country with all animals, farming or sport, where people have to re- remember they're bred as jobs, not as pets. And people seem to be confusing the, thing, the two together. These are bred for business. They're not bred as pets. Dan says, all the talk at the moment is about mental health. What about Gordon Elliott's mental health? During the war, people ate horse meat. And maybe they still do. Do they still eat horse meat in other countries? Maybe, maybe they do. At the end of the day this horse was dead. Joan in also worried about Gordon Elliott's mental health. She says I think a lot of other trainers are probably a lot more cruel to their animals but it goes on behind closed doors. We don't actually witness it. Joan in says I feel sorry for Gordon Elliott. Others may be jealous of him. If he came, uh, he's come on in the last few years I don't think he should be victimized. All the talk that's going on, I would really worry about him from a mental health point of view. Tom in Formoy says he was going nowhere with the horse. I don't see anything wrong and there is worse happening in this world. Can't understand why he's been picked on so much. Patricia Gordon-Elliott has put a dark cloud over Cheltenham this year. Shame on him. I think he should be banned. That's coming in from John and Anthony says a wrong thing to do, but someone from inside at some stage must have a gripe with Gordon Elliott and with And coming up. Is anybody questioning the timing of all of this? Because seemingly it was recorded. This video was recorded back in sometime in 2019. So we're talking could have been two years ago. Could have been the start of 2019. If it is, it's two years ago. So is it somebody with a gripe against Gordon Elliot? And it possibly will come out how it got shared. But the reaction since is is very severe, and as Gordon Elliot now is accepting himself he'll probably spend the rest of his life uh, paying back for it. Hi Patricia, do you think beauticians will open in uh, April? <laughs> and I take it along with beauticians you're talking about hairdressers as well. <laughs> if, if The ideal world, I wish that it would but I don't know. We, we and None of us know. It, it's absolutely, it's completely impure uh, speculation at this stage. Everything that's coming out, I mean the bit that I gave about construction and the easing of uh, restrictions beyond the 5k and the outdoor activities and the click and collect, that has come from Leo Varadkar in a letter that he sent out to all of his parliamentary uh, party and the reason that he gave that level of detail to them was that he was saying there's no reason to be off message you know, because obviously the government had received a huge backlash over communication so he was outlining sort of the seven steps that the government is taking over the coming months as part of the COVID-19 plan so that's how that information has come out but did I see hairdressers and beauticians mentioned in it? No
3: I didn't. 1850
2: 333 103 The
0: C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork County Council's community support programme. Here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See CorkCoco.ie
2: Tomorrow is World Wildlife uh, Day and the Cork Nature Network is inviting people to join Professor John Quinn from UCC uh, via Zoom where he'll be giving some fascinating insights into the lives of birds to register for what is a free event you log on to eventbright.ie, And Dara Community Centre are hosting Community Garda Damien White from Banding Garda Station on their Zoom webinar which is Thursday of next week the 11th of March it'll be at 8 o'clock in the evening He is speaking about internet safety cyberbullying as well as crime prevention farm safety and a lot more For more details you can log into their webinar, webinar by checking out Darra's Community Council on Facebook And the Kinsale Atlantic Artists Pink for Daffodil Day window and online exhibition that's running up to... Monday, the 29th of March with proceeds
0: going directly to the
2: Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day Fund.
0: Cork Today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.
2: Anybody else having a problem here? Alyssa Hi, Patricia. Wondering, could you put a shout out to find is anybody else having the struggle that we're having in our household? Uh, my boy is in first class. It's a huge Struggle to get him to school when his two older siblings in primary school are at home doing remote learning. Now I know it's only for two weeks and we have explained the situation to him but it's still proving to be quite troublesome getting him out yesterday and again today. There's no easy solution with COVID but could they not have done alternate alternated the days for all of the classrooms um, or maybe even ease them back in on half days and we're only into day two and somebody really struggling to get a young lad out the door in the morning and I don't know whether there was tears when he came back home yesterday or not yesterday. Anybody else finding that? I know I have a family member and we have two, two. One is in second class and the other is in fourth and the young lad in second class couldn't wait to get back in. The lad in fourth class is actually dreading two weeks time. He's loving remote learning so it suits some children and other children it doesn't suit and there are some children who absolutely adore school but there are others who just don't and who prefer being at home with mammy and who are taking to this remote learning like a duck to water but is that becoming a problem in other households where you have some going to school and some not going to school and probably what's harder in your household is the fact that your little lad is on his own while the other two even though there was two heading out the door but the fact that there's two at home and one heading out the door it almost looks like he's done something wrong while he's going to school and the others are not and I suppose in his little mind that's what he is thinking maybe a chat with the teacher I don't know if that could help or not but is anybody else struggling and having similar issues in your household let us know please 1850 on the horse issue when somebody said it wasn't that people used to eat people eat horses and eat horses in other countries and I don't know what countries they eat horses in but seemingly they do. Hi Patricia have listeners forgotten? It was only a short while ago that we were all eating horse meat in this country. It was a very very normal thing to do. Don't know what people are giving out about. And Jim says, Patricia, yes, the Gordon Elliot photograph, very strange. The timing, when I was talking about the timing of this uh, photograph and yes, he probably shouldn't have sat on a dead horse, but I know a fella who used to skin dead cows and they were cut up and then fed to the greyhounds and the guy who did it wouldn't come into the house for obvious reasons when he was doing the job because of the condition he would be in. So the dinner would be brought out to him and I saw him on numerous occasions says, Jim, he'd be sitting up on the dead cow while he was eating his uh, food. But Jim, like me, just questioning the timing of this photograph and this now we've discovered video uh, being uh, released. What is all the Tom says, what's all the fuss about Gordon Elliot and a dead horse? It's so ridiculous I can't see anything cruel about it. Uh, What about the way some people in other places uh, in other ways treat horses so uh, cruelly, says uh, Tom. And then on the protest in Dublin last for Saturday and one that's proposed for Cork this Saturday, there are people travelling from Cork to Dublin. Yeah, there was people who went from Cork to Dublin to the, to the protest were How And yet we can't travel from Ballyhooley to Fomoy without being stopped at a checkpoint. How are they getting away with it? It is a disgrace to hear the people travel from Cork to Dublin. And for the listener who has some items for Marks and Spencer's and they need to be returned and with the returned... Exchanged are looking for a refund and wondering what will happen when they reopen because they were bought before Christmas. Somebody says, Hi, P- Hi this is from uh, Marie. Thank you, Marie. Uh, Marks and Spencers are accepting returns, but at least they were up to the end of February. I bought back a coat and there was no problem at all if you want to let the listener know. And yeah, and I'm saying the same thing about Duns. That the Duns are open as well. Maybe if you ask, they may take the return from you. And one final one for Michael and Barry, Barry Rowe. This is on a news story. Wouldn't it be great if Ireland got to share the World Cup with the UK in 2030, uh, isn't it? Wouldn't it be fantastic? And there's a joint proposal gone in now for the UK and Ireland to host the World Cup in 2030. It'll be something fantastic indeed. Thank you, Michael. 1850 333103. Going to take a break and we're back with Joe Heffernan.
3: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile.
0: Cork Today
3: on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie.
0: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
3: Can we want to talk
2: about resilience today because God knows we're living in a crazy world and we all could do with a little bit of resilience. Are you worried about people's mental health going yes. through this pandemic? Uh, yes,
10: yes. And, and my own as well. You know, it's tough going. The thing is that, um, now, first of all, let me say I'm totally and absolutely in favor of the guidelines and the lockdown. I adhere to the rules because I'll come from the uh, mental health strain. But if I got COVID, I possibly, at my age, wouldn't come from it at all. So I'm, in, I'm completely in favour. But there's a kind of a battle going on between mental health and physical health. For example, if I went uh, to see um, a mental health professional in, before ever the COVID was there, and if I said, I don't touch door handles, I feel they're contaminated by germs. The person would say, OK, now we might have a bit of a problem here. Now the reply would be, well done. Keep up the good work.
2: Keep washing your hands. Yeah. Yeah.
10: yeah. If I attended uh, a mental health professional uh, prior to the covid And if I said that I felt that everyone I met was a potential danger, a risk of sickness or even possibly death, other people, a walking time bomb, I'd probably be referred on. There would be a diagnosis, maybe medication, but now the reply would be, how true? Do take care.
2: Keep away from everyone because everyone could be potentially contagious.
10: If I attended before the COVID And if I said that I was not venturing outside my own home, only if it was totally and absolutely necessary um, and that I was staying at home just about all the time, well, I'd probably get the advice to um, socialize more, that um, it's not good to be isolated like that. But nowadays, the reply would be very wise indeed. Stay put as much as possible. Avoid other people. So that in a way, like, uh, as they say in the Gaelic, um, uh, all the mental health um, advice that would have been given is now Trina Kehla, that the world is sort of upside down. And we're trying to make that adjustment. And that's tough going. Now, as I say, I agree completely with the lockdown um i'll come from the strain of the mental health issues um uh i i I will because this too shall pass, but if I got Covid I probably wouldn't come from yeah, it yeah and
2: you know and we've been discussing it here, and some would say ad nauseum on the program, but people are you know frustrated with the restrictions, and only yesterday with some people on you know the five k one i 'm you know people saying, God, I just want to change the scenery, and we 're all sick of it. But we all realise why we're doing it and we're doing it for the greater good. We're doing it to protect our own, to protect our loved ones, to protect ourselves and to protect the wider community. You know, I think the rational amongst us, while we can get frustrated and we can have a bit of a rant, but we know why we're doing it.
10: Yes, that's so true indeed, Patricia. I completely agree. But let me tell you a little quick story. Um, I was talking to our son in the Cayman Islands uh, a few nights ago. And um, himself and his wife, uh, Kayleigh, had been at the cinema the night before and saw a good film. And uh, the little island of Grand Cayman has just about no COVID. But what they did was, one year ago, now I mean one year ago, they locked down the island. Uh, And if you came in by plane, uh, you had to quarantine in a hotel. Uh, for whatever length of time and they were very serious about it and you know it didn't take um, 25 meetings for them to um, agree on that, they just did it and now they are COVID free so that like I suppose there's a little bit of frustration as well um, in that um, we wonder like um, you know and I think the government in fairness to them would say they could have done better but there you are. We, as, as 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 people say nowadays, we are where we are.
2: Yeah, and I know we. You don't even go as far as Cayman. I mean, the Isle of Man have been practically COVID-free until okay. until today. I have to say, okay. and they've gone into a twenty-one-day circuit breaker, and it, that stemmed from an infected ferry crew member oh, who no. brought it back onto the island. But it just shows how easily it can oh, be brought yeah. back on uh, to the island. So we all need a bit of resilience to get us through because as you said a couple of minutes ago, this too will pass. So we need re- re- resilience. Just explain what you mean by resilience and what we can do. Well,
10: no. Um, they, they, we'll say, we'll, we'll name a few building blocks of resilience. We haven't really seen our sons who are not a million miles away. They're in Cork City uh, really since Christmas. Um, uh Uh, so um, we need to stay in touch. Now, in fairness, they're they're great. We get a phone call every night from one of the three of them. Um, So staying in touch, and it it doesn't have to be physical. It can be the phone, the text, uh, the email, whatever. Um, Also, to kind of, uh, I'm finding that my way of dealing with this in a way isn't, isn't with great thinking just kind of with no thinking in other words, like just plug on one day after the other. Uh, I, I'm not analyzing it too much. I'm not wondering all the time. When will this end? I'm just dealing with, um, where, wherever we are today, the second of March. Um, and, uh, the things I need to do today, I'll do today and tomorrow will look after itself kind of thing. Um, to do with the vaccine, I'm patiently awaiting a call from the GP. I'm not, um, I'm not ringing up to say when, when, when. I'm just saying the call will come when the call comes and that will be fine. So like to accept the circumstances that we can change. I'd love to change the whole world at the moment. I'd love to have a magic wand and to get rid of COVID, but um, to accept uh, as best we can. Now, we'll all have good days and bad days. But acknowledge that. Acknowledge
2: acknowledge that. Acknowledge that we will, you know, we'll have a day where you'll just be ranting at everybody and then tomorrow will be a better day.
10: Very possibly. Um, You know, I woke this morning, not feeling great, a bit down. Um, You know, maybe you know, things getting a wee bit on top of one. Um, uh, small things can, can really affect one. In fairness, um, a young lady there in uh, O'Brien Street, Sinead, at the tree shop fixed up the other day. I I got a new phone. And I nearly went bananas with the new <laughs> phone because, oh my God, I pressed this, but it isn't, doesn't happen like the old phone. You know, yeah. I felt like flinging it off the wall at one stage, but um, again this too shall pass yeah. and you know I'll, 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 I'll and get like into keep
2: it. and keep reaching out to people you know as as you mentioned you, you can't see your children and lots of people are in that same boat but we can talk to them we can you know if they're overseas even if they're down the road in Cork and you can't see them there's FaceTime the, you know there's a lot of technology there but even the good old fashioned phone pick up the phone and call someone
10: absolutely and you know um we love to get that call um every night um well almost um every single night. And um you know we haven't much to talk about since last night kind of but um you know uh were you out for a walk? Um what are you watching on the telly tonight? Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's not <laughs> it's not mind blowing stuff, but it's a chat and um of course we always start with how are you and they start with how 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 are you? And, um, and and that's very, very re- reassuring.
2: Yeah, and it's reassuring for them to check in on the parents and to make sure that you guys are okay yeah. Yeah, as well. And yeah. look, the weather's getting better, so get out and try and get a walk and get the exercise in. That's
10: one of the big things. Yeah. We're, we're, we're managing that now every day, except if it's dire altogether yeah. outside
2: there. Yeah, but, when they, but the weather is good and, it, and it's going to improve and spring is there and there's daffodils and we've a lot of beauty around us.
10: Indeed we do. Indeed we do and the thing about it is that we've been in tough places before and the uh, what saw us through the tough times in the past won't desert us now. We'll get through this too.
2: Yeah, and set little goals and achieve those little goals. I saw there was a lot of people the other day out cutting the grass. I said to himself. What about cutting the grass? And I nearly got, well, yeah, we'll think about that. But you know what I mean? Little realistic goals of that. When the grass is cut you, will all feel great after.
10: Exactly. And um, right. to kind of look forward, to look back, to say, how will I feel at six o'clock tonight if I have gone for my walk? Pretty good. How will I feel at six o'clock this evening if I have not gone for my walk? Not, not quite. No good.
2: That's Good advice. Listen, go out for your walk and enjoy it, Joe. Yes. And as always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for that. Thank you. That's uh, Joe Heffernan, anyone's counselling practice in Boho, way 02976617. Uh, hi, what's all the fuss about Gordon Elliott? The horse is dead. It is ridiculous. I didn't see anything cruel about it, says. A listener, the issue with the photographs says somebody else in the videos. It isn't that there are dead horses or whether people eat horse meat or not. It's the appalling lack of respect being shown. These beautiful animals gave their lives pleasing us and they deserve as much respect in death as they do in life as a horsewoman, I'm absolutely appalled. Okay, that's where we wrap it up for today. Thank you and thank you to everybody who took time out to contact us today. Our apologies if we didn't get to all of your texts but we do promise that we read all of them when we come off air. But that's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing the programme. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards taking a through the afternoon we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the nine I'm Patricia Messenger. take care of yourself and more importantly stay safe
0: court today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie
9: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact